and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss the future of the beauty and wellness industries with the people who know them best. I'm your host, Priya Rao, beauty editor at Glossy, and today's guest is AC Eggleston Bracey, the EVP and COO of Beauty and Personal Care at Unilever North America. In this episode, we talk to AC about how a CPG company like Unilever is prioritizing beauty, how a shift in consumer values is impacting her slew of brands, and what makes a brand ripe for acquisition versus incubation. Hope you enjoy the episode. Today on the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we have AC Eggleston Bracey, the EVP and CEO of Beauty and Personal Care at Unilever North America. Welcome, AC. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're excited to have you. So, AC, tell us a little bit about your kind of background in beauty. How did you find your way into this world, and were you always a beauty shopper? Oh, it's so crazy. Um, As a human being, I've always loved beauty. I can remember being in junior high school and waiting for breaks from school so that I could go to Walgreens and like buy wet and wild nail polish and eyeliner and put on mascara and then wash it all off before my mother came home. So I've always been a beauty girl, but uh, academically I was a math and science person. So I uh, loved math. I used to beg my friends to do their math homework. And my father was a math teacher. So I thought I wanted to do something with math But I was always practical. I thought, I don't want to be a math teacher. So I trained to be an MD, PhD in biomedical engineering because that was a way to practically apply math. And I liked people, so I thought, be a doctor. So it's crazy that I ended up in beauty. So I went to university and studied engineering. And I found in in college that I enjoyed the work more with people and I led um, a lot of like student union activities and things, and I just by coincidence ended up uh, in beauty, like working in business and uh, being able to tell a manager at the time how much I love beauty and the opportunity to work in business and beauty. So it's kind of a fluke. So before arriving at Unilever in 2018, AC, you had spent many years at Cody and Procter and Gamble. Tell us a little bit about that experience before arriving at Unilever. Oh, it was awesome. As I said, uh, I never thought I would end up at Beauty, and I chose Procter and Gamble because I saw the opportunity to apply problem solving from all the engineering work that I did, and then. Um, marketing as a way to take that problem solving and focus on people and their needs and to create a business out of that. So my 25 years at P&G were really just growing in that. And then I had the pleasure uh, at Procter & Gamble of running the makeup business CoverGirl, and that's where I found my first true love for beauty. Like makeup is so much fun. And for someone like me that's obsessed with problem solving, it's complicated. Like CoverGirl at the time had maybe a thousand SKUs. So you're always managing the 80-20. You're trying to figure out what do you need to focus on to make the business grow. But then you're trying to figure out what are women really going to want? Because sometimes we can't say what we want. So you've got to listen behind what we're saying to figure out what to do. So that was really my years at P&G was learning my love for makeup. Um, I also ran at uh, PNG a lot of the businesses that I do now, so I really, I would say, kind of got my fundamental training in beauty. The problem with PNG is that beauty was more um, of a hobby than a profession for PNG, and so I was interested in doing something where beauty was more of the core, 
And so I ended up going to Cody, where P&G sold the makeup business, which was primarily Cody's business. And then at Unilever, you know, beauty is a majority of the business, beauty and personal care. So, AC, when you think about, um, you talked about the 80-20 rule just a second ago, and about that listening, and what how that's so important to the customer back then. But that seems to be even more important today. How are you applying that um, with your work at Unilever? Yeah, it is such an exciting time because people are changing like never before. And it's more than listening, it's anticipating. I see three big movements that are happening that are consistent, but they continue to evolve. One is with everything going on in the world, there's a crisis of trust. You know, we call it the world is so volatile. We're seeing for the first times, you know, the impact of global warming on us day by day, where we'd always hear about it for decades, but we never saw it coming to life. And so we're really skeptical about what people are doing. There's an absence of trust of our politicians. We're skeptical about media and news and what's happening in social media, what's happening with our elections. So this crisis of trust is really raising the bar for what brands need to do and how people engage. Um, When I was younger and growing up in marketing, you always knew no one ever read the back labels of products. Now, who reads the back label of products? Everyone. You're looking for the so what? What am I missing? So listening is super important, and this area of trust is, is major in what we do. The other area is that people are living differently, and there's so much more diversity of people that one size fits all doesn't work. So when you're listening to people in the old days, you'd listen for what was in common. What could you do for the 80-20 to create a big idea that would sell and have the most impact on people? Today, you don't listen for that. You listen for the pockets of opportunities to differentiate and meet the needs of of the variety of people that are out there. You know, when I say people are living differently, it's the demographic and generational mixes are like never before. It always blows my mind that today in the U.S., 40% of people are people of color. And one of two babies born are people of color, babies of color. You know, it wasn't like that 20 years ago. Uh, I spent eight years living in Switzerland. And in the eight years that I was gone, it was so stark when I came back in um, 2016, 2017 to see that difference. So there's such a difference in what needs people have based on that. You know, Gen Z in 2020, they're forecasted to be the largest generation group. And we know Gen Zs and how vocal and influential and unsatisfied they are with what's happening in the world. So it's back to your question on listening. Uh, The way you listen is so different today. You're listening for the diversity and variety of needs and how to serve those instead of for the 80-20. You're listening for how you can reestablish trust and confidence in brands. And then you're also listening for this other area that we see is how people want to take more control of their environments and their communities based on what I mentioned about things like global warming impacting us now on a day-to-day basis and people wanting to make choices and help with their pocketbooks. You work on over a dozen brands, including major brands like Dove and Shea Moisture. And so how do you kind of decide, you know, 
with these huge brands, how are they able to apply these pockets of, you know, difference or inclusivity or diversity when they are brands that have been, especially Dove, been for larger groups of people or masses of women? Yeah, that's an ex- that's such a good question. Um, first, I will say today there's so much disruption happening in every single industry and you see it in beauty. And a few years ago, there was a real sentiment that you have a headwind against you if you're a big brand, that big brands can't grow. Because all the new brands, indie brands, DTC brands, in every single category that are disrupting them. And I think what we've seen, and Dove is a great example, is that big brands can grow. And when you grow big brands, you have even more impact. But how to grow is you need to make sure the brands are really relevant to the issues that I just talked about. And we've been able to do that on Dove. You know, I talked about... um, how people want to vote with their pockets and they expect more from business and brands. And Dove is a perfect example that uh, this past year we've gotten PETA certification so that we're cruelty-free. The end of this year we're going to use of 100% PCR across all of our packages on Dove. So Dove will be very, very future-proof. And then Dove is probably one of my most purposeful brands You know, Dove is very, very committed to making sure universally women and girls experience a positive view of beauty for ourselves, for themselves. And as such, it's been the leader in self-esteem education. Uh, We provide more self-esteem education globally than any NGO or any entity around the world, any school, any anything that comes from a brand. So I think you ask the question, you know, how are you keeping up? with, you know, heritage brands, potentially like Dove, we use it as an opportunity to make sure we have the big impact that we can and people can expect. And we know that we can impact more people with a brand the scale of Dove, which is, um, you know, the biggest brand at Unilever. Um, It's market leading in the categories that it competes in, namely in cleansing. So um, Dove is a great example of that. Um, So there's Dove, but then, like you said, we have brands like Shea Moisture. We have brands like Love Beauty and Planet that we created organically. Uh, We've got brands like Vaseline. Uh, But really the same framework applies, that you're really clear on which audience you want to serve. You don't treat that audience as one-size-fits-all. You listen for the needs that are behind the audiences, and you make sure each of the brand is making an impact for those audiences. And from a Unilever perspective, we think about impact more than just what the product itself does. We think about what impacts we provide in our communities. So for Shea Moisture, it's really about empowering communities of color. We uh, have a program called the New Voices Fund. I don't know if you're familiar with that, which is a fund that uh, is over $100 million to invest in women of color entrepreneurs. Um, on Love, Beauty, and Planet. It's very much about acts of kindness uh, for the for the planet. You can have l- the love of beauty for yourself, and then you can give and love the world at the same time. And we do that through all the product mixes, which are 100% PCR as well. Uh, we make sure the products um, are uh, careful and efficient in terms of its use of water. We use the uh, clean rinse shampoo and much, much, much more. So the same similar framework applies across brands as long as we know the audience and we're clear on what impact we're going to make in the world for that audience and make sure we design our products and our proposition to serve those audiences too. 
When you think about how quickly um, preferences are changing in beauty and personal care, what are some of the challenges of that? Because, you know, there's so much social listening. There's so much more information. You know, we're inundated. So how do you kind of make a choice and stick with it, but then also be able to pivot? Yeah, that's another really great question. It starts with values. Not every brand can chase every opportunity. So you have to be really clear on what you stand for and what your commitment is. And I talked about Dove. That's really about beauty inclusivity and beauty confidence and making sure everything we do is focused on that um, for people, again, and for the communities and then for the world. There are things that I would leverage on, let's say, a, um, um, a Shea Moisture based on the audience that I and the values that I wouldn't necessarily um, apply to a Vaseline. So first, it's being really, really clear on what your values are, and then being a combination of committed to driving some big things and then flexible enough to pivot and take advantage of the new things that are going on around you. Um, a good example of that is we will be going cruelty-free on the brand Suave, right? We're going to have PETA certification there. That is knowing that we're committed on Suave to serving the underserved cash-strapped consumers and making sure that there's no trade-off of what you could buy if you bought more premium brands to Suave. And so that allows us to pivot to what people want now is making sure items are, the products that they use are responsible. Um, similarly on Suave, we're moving to 100% PCR as well in the uh, start of the year in 2020. So, And AC, Suave is also, you know, kind of recently going after the African-American demographic as well. They also um, created a curl line, a super curly line that really launched in Dollar General and Dollar Tree. And that was also part of that. How was that much more different than, say, what you would do on a Dove? Because this is a brand that's adjusting and pivoting a little bit later versus, you know, Dove that's been kind of doing it for a bit. Yeah, back to the point on audiences, the audience for Suave is very much we call the cash-trapped consumer. And more and more people are cash-trapped today than ever before. More than 40% of Americans self-identify as being cash-trapped. And what cash-trapped looks like is different than the face that you may have seen assumed from decades ago. Cash-trapped consumers are younger, more college graduates, um, Cash-strapped consumers are um, very much a demand for no trade-offs because there's access and transparency to pricing and so much good quality in the world relative to what uh, someone might be willing to trade off um, decades ago. So when you think about textured hair, one of the biggest uh, challenges with textured hair is there's lots of cocktailing. So that means you layer products and you spend a fortune, quite frankly, to get the layering right. It's not just shampoo and conditioning. It's all the styling that you layer on, if it's creams, if it's hair masks, if it's sprays, to really make sure you've got your look. So the cash-strapped consumer with textured hair has even more of a challenge than a non-cash-strapped consumer and a consumer that doesn't have textured hair because of the need for cocktailing and layering. So on Suave, what we've done is tried to capture that opportunity through our naturals line which is making sure you can get the end result that you want 
with the range of products that are designed for textured hair without spending a fortune. Talk to us a little bit about your incubated brands, which are newer for Unilever. Love Beauty and Planet, which you mentioned just a second ago, um, is one of them and is very successful, but um, is new for the company. What is that about, that incubation process? Yeah, so first, Love Beauty and and Planet, we're super proud of it because in its first year, it delivered over $60 in retail sales. And so it kind of blew away what we expected it to do. But the idea of incubation is taking control of the opportunities you see. Because you can incubate, you can acquire, or you can pivot a core brand into a new benefit space. When you pivot a core brand into a new benefit space, you have to be mindful of where that brand has come from and what credibility that brand has. When you go into acquisition, you don't have a lot of control because there are lots of options and people buying for um, the same brands. You you don't know where that's going to end up. When you incubate, you can be really clear in the audience, again, that you want to serve and what impact you want to have, and you really can create that from scratch. And La Beauty and Planet was very much committed to no trade-off between beauty and positive impact to the planet and with the values of kindness in the world, right? Small acts of kindness. And so what we did on Love, Beauty, and Planet is um, there was a small team that went away. It was almost on secondment and tracked it themselves from the rest of the business. There were about four, we call founders of the brand, that worked together out of that philosophy to create the brand that we know today as Love, Beauty, and Planet. And you guys were able to spin that off from just a beauty line to also a lifestyle brand with, you know, the addition of personal care and cleaning as well. That was pretty quick for you guys, right? Yeah. The way I think about it is the Love, Beauty, and Planet lifestyle also translates to having beauty all around you. And as you see what's happening today, there is a real merging between what we've traditionally thought of as beauty and even your experience in homes. And so as we think about Love, Beauty, and Planet and Love, Home, and Planet, is as much about that experience of beauty being in your home than just the way you might think about we've extended the brand into home care. So you have um, the beautiful experience, the, the beautiful fragrances and aroma. You also have the impact of essential oils. You also have the impact of... Uh, of reducing the footprint on the environment across all of those. So yes, that core proposition of Love, Beauty, and Planet is now extended beyond personal care products into products that you can also enjoy in your home. Do you guys think you want to do more incubation? Is that slated for later this year or next year? I think we'll always be looking at the combination of incubation, acquisition, and um, expansion of our core brands because all of those have a all those have a role. It's less that we say this is how many brands we want to incubate. This is how many acquisitions we want to make. What we're looking at is what are the opportunities. Uh, what do people want? How can we make the impact? And then we look and evaluate based on that opportunity what's best suited for. You know, we just there's another brand outside of Love Beauty and Planet that we've recently launched called The Right to Shower. And so that opportunity was all about um, addressing the real issue we see in the country with people experiencing homelessness. Uh, We learned, surprisingly from that, how complex the issue of homelessness is. You might look and you think the first thing that you want to do is make sure people have housing, because that's inherent in the idea of people experiencing homelessness. 
when you unravel it, you find people that are experiencing homelessness, they've also shifted. It's a lot of times moms with children that find themselves not being able to make ends meet and the cost of housing being so um, difficult. And what they don't have access to is employment because they don't have the confidence in their appearance to get the employment because they don't have showers and places to sleep. Um, So in curating Love, Beauty, and Planet, you know, there wasn't a brand that we could acquire to address this. It wasn't obvious how we could expand an existing brand to address this opportunity. So what we did is we created the right to shower to have 100% of the proceeds this year go to mobile shower units to have people experiencing homelessness uh, to have to make sure people experiencing homelessness have an opportunity to feel dignity and pride and respect that comes with having a fresh shower, which in all of our research we learned was even more fundamental than having a place to stay. Because in doing that, it helps give people the confidence to actually um, go apply for jobs, actually connect with people and their loved ones. Uh, So that's another example of why we might choose to incubate a brand over expanding a brand or acquiring a brand when we see a real opportunity that we believe we uniquely can create. That's very different than some of the other um, beauty CPG brands out there, whether it's a Johnson & Johnson or a Procter. And you mentioned earlier just the idea of beauty being a hobby, maybe, for some of those other companies versus it being a core business for you guys. How do you think that like you're able to kind of stay above the fray? Because there is so much incubation happening across other companies, and there is a lot of acquisition news happening um, or companies for sale. You know, I joined Unilever back in January of 2018. And what really, really attracted me to Unilever was this obsession that the purpose of business is to do good. And it wasn't lip service. It was the whole idea. It's not sufficient to just have businesses turn a profit, but that the communities and people that we serve also need to profit. And I was skeptical about that. Like, really? A for-profit company? Really? And the more Unilever people and executives I talked to, the more uh, blown away I was by this mission. And, And why do I say that when you ask the question about brand acquisition and incubation? It's really out of the mission to have an impact on the world. And as you look at the brand's that we've incubated or the brands that we've acquired, they've really primarily been through that lens. And I think that really sets Unilever apart. Now, this area of impact, because people expect it, are becoming, that's becoming the new bar for brands, right? Um, But the risk in that is it becomes the new marketing. And Unilever thinks about it beyond the new marketing what we tell consumers that we do to have them like our brands, but we really take it as an opportunity to make the impact because we say, you know, what's the purpose of business? Like what, what's it all for if we're not making a lasting impact, right? And that goes beyond simply doing no harm with our footprint, but actually helping sustain and, and develop some of the societal issues that we face. 
um, but also make an, an impact on you know each of the individuals that we serve. So as we think about incubation, as we think about acquisition, as we think about propositions to extend our brands, it's always through that filter. You see, when you think about um, Unilever's brands, all of them have very um, strong and significant retail presences, whether it's with a Target or a Walmart. What's your view on you know the burgeoning DTC and e-com only businesses that have kind of really challenged some of those traditional models? Yeah, I think they all play a role. What's interesting, we do have a we do have some DTC businesses, and one of those is SkinSay is one that we're experimenting with because obvious there's so much to love about a DTC business, and one of those is the opportunity to own the relationship fully that you have with your audience. Um, when you don't do that, your your customer is really the retailer. But with DTC, you can own that direct connection. Um, and with that, data is currency. You can hear directly from them and be nimble. And you don't have to worry about timing to go to market. Because when you're in brick-and-mortar retail, there are reset timelines, et cetera, that you're managing. So you can serve your audience and constituency. And we've seen all the valuation of the DTC businesses. The drawback you see with DTC businesses is they can be very, very hard to scale, and it it's a lot to invest in that one-on-one relationship. So what you see very consistently are DTC brands going into brick and mortar. Um, you see some exceptions to that, but you see the big ones growing and driving profitability, leveraging what they've invested in DTC to scale up and go through brick and mortar. So I think the model is quite attractive, but I think you're going to consider continue to see this omni-channel presence that you'll see DTC in brick and mortar. You will see online and offline working together because, look, you know, think about us. As I said, there's no more one size fits all. We want the opportunity when we're in the mood to shop in brick and mortar retail to have access to our favorite brands. Um, and we also, when we want it convenient for us to not have to bother to access those brands in retail. So I think you're going to see it continued, uh, continued business models where all of those are going to be impactful. And Unilever, we're no exception to that. When you think about SkinSay and you're creating products for one specific customer using that personalization lever, how do you bring that to, say, a retail setting? Yeah, I would say um, SkinSay, our intention was to learn and understand the DTC model and more specifically to be able to deliver on the personalization. So we're in learning mode on SkinSay. We haven't developed a grand master plan to launch it into retail or not launch it into retail. We're really trying to get that model right and make sure we're able to be nimble and receptive and responsive to women that have individualized skin care care needs. So, So we'll see. What about experiential retail? Because that's something that you guys have been doing more of as well. You're going to be at Essence soon um, with many of your brands, as well as you've been at BeautyCon before. How important is that for you? Uh, how important is that? It is super important. We we know everything you see shows that people are investing in experiences more and more today. Uh, that's beyond beauty, but certainly exclusive of beauty. And beauty is entertainment, and beauty is a community. So you can create communities through ex- experiences. You know, Essence is a massive community, right? This is the 25th anniversary of Essence, the Essence Festival. 
this upcoming week. And what you see are communities of women and sisterhood. And in that, it's women experiencing beauty together with a community that they don't necessarily have the opportunity to do that with when they're just shopping and picking up their their favorite beauty product. And being a part of that sisterhood and conversation um, makes a real difference. The other thing for us, it's a real opportunity to have women act, men and women act. I am so enthusiastic about the momentum that is building in America saying it is going to stop to have legislation that discriminates against people based on hair. Uh, It really blows my mind and most people that I talk to that it's actually legal for you to deny someone employment because they wear dreads or they wear braids. Uh, because maybe it doesn't meet a corporate grooming policy or to deny some kids access to school because they say their hair is untidy and not fit for school. Um, And most people say that shouldn't be. But up until now, that's been legal. Um, But with the work that Dove has done in co-founding the Crown Coalition with um, the National Urban League, with the Color of Change, Um, We are supporting Senator Holly Mitchell in California that has a bill called the Crown Act that is soon to pass in California. I mean, this week it may pass in California. It's waiting on signature in the governor's office and also the same opportunity in New York and New Jersey. We'll see who's going to pass first, New York or New Jersey. California got started earlier, but uh, New New York and New Jersey have jumped right in. Why am I saying that with essence? While we might have this statewide legislation passed called the Crown Act that will make it illegal to discriminate based on hair, there's still not in every state and there's still not federal legislation. We're hoping that with the community of essence, with people signing the petition through thecrownact.com to get their their senators and legislators and congresspeople to bring this legislation forward so that regardless of where you live in America, you will have the benefit of this anti, to the benefit of eradicating the um, hair discrimination legislation that exists now. And, you know, Essence is a great opportunity to activate the community behind that. How do you think that something like Essence, which does has this fervorish community, very loyal customers, um, bringing that to life with Dove versus, say, you know, some of the other brands like that are black owned or, you know, black led brands? You know, why was it important to put your mainstay brand behind this? Well, we have a number of brands activating at uh, Essence. Uh, Dove is certainly one of them. Vaseline is another. Shea Moisture is another. Tresemme is another. Dove Men Plus Care is another. So we've got a range of brands that activate. Um, What I say is about the demographics of America today. With 40% of Americans being people of color, no brand can afford to not be of service to people of color. And the other thing we see, and Nielsen data really highlights this, that nearly 80% of Americans recognize the influence of black consumers and the influence of Latin consumers on culture. So even beyond uh, those particular consumers, the cultural impact has a lasting impact beyond. So being at places like Essence that is curating culture is so important for the longevity of our brands that we, we, we pick a range of brands to invest in and create authentic experiences. So 
um, it is important for uh, many of our brands to have a presence there. AC, when you think about how you can buy beauty kind of anywhere now, whether it's department stores or the drugstore or an Ulta or Sephora, you know, how do you guys figure out, you know, from a channel perspective, you know, do you think about hotels? Do you think about, you know, soul cycles? Do you think about, you know, these kind of more um, tangential touch points that now are really serving the beauty and wellness customer? You know, my vision would be to have our beauty products and personal care products available anywhere, anytime um, that he or she desire. So it includes all those places that you mentioned. The key is figuring out how to access those places through the points of distribution. That's why I love Omnichannel because, you know, you can access anything on your phone today. And increasingly, you're going to see, in an instant, products and services being delivered. That being said, when you're just sweating at SoulCycle, <laughs> okay, you want access right then and there to degree, right? And so um, there are a number of programs that we do to at least pro provide samples. Um, and more and more, we're looking at how to access those new pockets of growth. You know, one of our real strategies is to do what we call our channel pivot, which is to put our products within arm's reach of um, the people who enjoy us. Perfect. Thank you so much, AC. It was great having you. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Capadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription of Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members have access to unlimited content, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's 80% off by entering the code INTRO at checkout. For more information, head to glossy.co slash subscribe. We'll talk to you next week.